This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Michael Geetson is the Group Managing Director of Identity, and you may know him and his agency because they delivered what is probably one of the most important events for the history of mankind. COP26 just closed in Glasgow, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Quite small, really. Only 25,000 delegates from 200 countries around the world, 120 heads of state. We recorded this episode literally a week before the event took place. And I was expecting him to be really nervous, a little bit on edge, a little bit tense, because understandably, your agency is about to deliver a really important event for the world, right? But he was so cool, really chilled, um, really laid back. And I think that's a testament to the kind of entrepreneur that Michael is and the amount of battle scars that he's had over the years. You know, we actually spent very little time talking about the actual event because his CV and the rest of the business of identity is really impressive. Um, he's got a track record of delivering year-on-year growth for his agency. This is just a masterclass on all things entrepreneurship and business building. If you are interested in anything to do with the business of events, then strap yourself in because this is a conversation not to be missed. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Michael Geetson. Michael Geetson is the Group Managing Director for Identity, one of the UK's most successful event agencies. He leads a team that delivers extraordinary events for the world's governments and global brands. Identity is a Queen's Award recipient for Enterprise in International Train, ranked 25th in the Sunday Times Fast Track 100, a league table of 100 of the fastest growing companies in the UK. At 36, he was also featured in Forbes as an entrepreneur of note. Now his events agency Identity has grown to a team of over 150 people and Identity has scooped numerous awards for its events. They have worked with brands such as Harrods, Siemens, Panasonic, Harley-Davidson, NATO, COP26, the government just go down the list. They are also on course to turn over over 150 million this year. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Michael Dietzen, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you very much for having me. I, I don't often get it read out like that, so it's uh, it's quite humbling when uh, when you just list it. So thanks for doing that. It's an amazing string of achievements, um, and I'm super excited to drill into all of your background and history and sort of how you got to where you are now. But let's start with your background first. You've got a fascinating history. You started with a career in finance um, on the auditing side, interrogating company financial information. And I guess there you saw hundreds of company accounts that you could see some were really, really good, some were really, really bad. What were the bad ones doing that we can learn something from? What were the good ones doing? And what did you see from that experience that led you to setting up identity? Good question. I think the variety is what was what was key. So I, was in, I didn't realize at the time that I was in such a privileged position of getting to talk to business owners. I think I was still quite naive. And even the thought of one day running my own business would, would become a reality. But I guess more focusing on what the good ones did well, you could really see innovation, kind of being proactive, strategists, really interesting people to talk to who love their jobs 
And I think, you know, really on the, on the, on the poorer side, it would be ones that had weak financial control, weren't, didn't really like doing what they were doing. And all across the businesses, there's no, there's no one thing in a business that is going to succeed or fail. And so you're just seeing those kind of percentages. And yeah, I mean, I, I always was attracted by the, the business leaders and owners that were doing great things. And what in your experience were they doing well? I mean, could you, I guess you couldn't see that from the numbers, but having going back and looking at who they are and what they were doing, what sort of trends or themes did you take away from them that led you to setting up the business? Well, I think strategy and culture. So one is thinking about diversification, resilience, looking at their product portfolios. They will, and I mentioned the word innovation, but really thinking about how they can take their their product onto the next journey, being one step ahead for their clients. And, and then ultimately the ones that were really embracing culture and whether it meant that technology was coming in and advancing what they were doing and how they were going to combat that with the team, or if they just needed to galvanize the team to work more effectively and efficiently, they would be working really well on culture. So I guess it's those two things, really. So you took over the business in 2009, really interesting time to start a new business, global financial crisis meltdown and all the rest of it. At that time, you were purely an exhibition stand business. Tell us how you evolved from there into the business that it is today. Yes, a really interesting time to join. I'd, I'd qualified, I'd been qualified for a few years and uh, realised actually I didn't want to be an accountant. I wanted to get into business and that had absolutely set in about halfway through my, my qualification. So I started to skew the way I looked at the business. And my dad ran an exhibition project management firm and I remember turning to mum and dad saying, can I come and join you? And they said, absolutely not. Why would you want to leave such a wonderful profession and get into the world of exhibitions? But I took a pay cut. I went and joined dad. I'd already been doing the books for a few years for him now and started to see that there was a there's an acorn here that could grow into an oak tree. And so I came in, but little did I know, and definitely naivety there was, do not get into the exhibition game during a financial crash. It's, it's the first that goes and it's the last that returns. Mm. But actually, we started to develop. And some of the things I realized is that you need to have control over the projects. And so just project managing it and, and your supply chain isn't enough. And so we started to bring in some of the resource. We then you know, had to go through looking at diversification, which is one of the things I touched on you know, just earlier, thinking about what, what other things could we do in this poor market condition. And so we diversified with the signage um, side of the business, doing graphics. Mm which is really handy in what we're doing because a lot of graphics go into events. And so if you can take control over that, then you can de-risk some of the projects. There's nothing worse than artwork deadlines being missed and you've got to honour the price with the contract you're using. And then on Monday, it comes back rose pink and not Ferrari red mm. and you're all up against it. And, mm. and so we did that. And then we got into the promotional products market where we were starting to build supply chains around what we're doing. So building the exhibition stands, doing the graphics, supplying the promotional products, and then digital came along. And so we started doing a lot of content and digital creation. And that's really where the business kind of started to grow. We're a couple of years in now, dad retires. I take over as uh, MD at that point. And we're, we're a three-man team, four-man team really about now. And so the, the business has changed an awful lot over the kind of last decade. Mm. And, and I think that is down to... You know, having a really clear vision about halfway through of wanting to do 
one thing and one thing well. So uh, I read the book, The One Thing. It's always stuck with me. Gary Keller, fantastic book. Yeah. And so we, we actually said, right, no, let's do events and let's do events really well. We want to have a full service events agency. And that was it. Overnight, we, we, we almost closed the doors of everything that we were doing and doubled down our efforts all on events and thinking much wider than exhibitions. And so we really started to look into conferences in the experiential sector. And then it was a quest of talent acquisition, really. You know, this is, this is very much a kind of people's industry and you need great talent around you. And so we started to amass a pool of, you know, the best talent in the UK and fast forward to now where we're probably the single largest independently owned agency in the UK working on the single largest projects that are happening at the moment. Fascinating story. Super exciting journey. There's so many things there that I want to I want to drill into. So from roughly three or four people at the point where you decided, actually, let's just do one thing well and become this single focus event agency. Tell us how the business grew from there to where we are today. People, revenue, turnover, clients, locations. Just give us a sense for everyone listening as to kind of the scale and the breadth of the business. I remember very fondly in the first year where we turned over a million pounds and that was a massive milestone for us. So that's kind of where we, where we started. Then we started to identify what the winning formula was um, that we needed to, to work on. I'd really started to research our competitors, seeing what the top four were, were, were doing, looking at that smaller marketplace, uh, looking at how we could acquire clients. And so after we'd got to about 5 million turnover, we had a team of 30, that kind of boutique agency sweet spot where you can work on quite large projects and they would be your kind of hero project in the year and have other projects underneath it. We, we grew the ambition really and thought, actually, we, we can go big here and we can go and rival the top spot with the other agencies. There hasn't been a new breakthrough brand for many, many, many years. And actually what we were doing felt like we could do exactly that. And it was about 2017 now where we really made the biggest shift. And so the board directors at the time, the senior management team, I sat down and spoke to them and said, let's go much bigger than our ambition. You know, our ambition at the time was getting to about 20 million, being a real stable business, and actually let's reach for the stars. And what, what we needed to do then was go on very much a talent acquisition. And so, as you've alluded to, I, was, I am a chartered accountant by trade, and therefore not an event specialist. And we needed to start to recruit event specialists. We started with headhunting, uh, Janet Dodd, who joined us, and she headed up our live event experience side. And then we started to bring other project managers, technical directors in, and we started to build a bit of a critical mass uh, at identity. Um, and I think from 2018, once we'd started to implement all these changes, you could you could start to see that we were moving in the right direction. And we then started to expand. So we opened up offices in Abu Dhabi, in Shanghai. And then most recently we opened up a, a London office, which really kind of is a great milestone in, in, our, in our history and in our, in our kind of ambition, I guess, is to be one of the leading event agencies in the UK and then culminates really in this, in the last 18 months is our ability to be able to 
proper adapt and pivot to the requirements that COVID has presented itself. And then ultimately delivering the two largest events that are happening in the UK this year. And so in the summer, we delivered G7 in Cornwall. And uh, this week, we're delivering the Climate Change Conference COP26 in Glasgow. So we really are at the top of our game now. And so we've come from smaller exhibition stands to world leading events. That's such an inspiring and exciting story. So as you say, you know, from a competitive point of view, George P. Johnson, Jack Morton, they're the established incumbents. They've been around, you know, 150 years, something ridiculous like that. Where does identity play in that consideration set? There are a number of others as well, but considering that they've been around for such a long time and have such a, a legacy, you're the new kid on the block. It's very hard to kind of break into that established group. Talk a little bit about how you position yourselves relative to those guys. It's a good question. And I get asked this very often. And I think it's very humbling now to for you to ask a question like this, because it always was the ambition to be regarded in the big three, big four of, of what we're doing. And so I see us very much in, a, in an even stable as, as them, but we are different. Uh, and, I, and I think what these agencies that have been around for such a long time, and I, I know that George B. Johnson were talking about a hundred year anniversary, they aren't the same people that were working there a hundred years ago. You know, this is people shift, talent move. And actually I think COVID presented itself as a huge opportunity, really as the tectonic plates have shifted really within the event space, you know, were they resilient enough to be able to, you know, carrying a large amount of overhead? Were they investing in digital technology early enough to be able to deliver digital or hybrid events in this kind of new era and, and i think it's for us we are we're unique we're unique because we bridge public sector and private sector work there isn't really an agency that rivals that that expertise and it enables us to play in kind of different spaces than these and so you know i i've always admired them i always will admire them i think they're all great agencies at the top and, and actually it's, it's these agencies that have been flying the flag for uk exhibition standards for so many years and enable you know a brand like us to, to come through on a, on a global stage and so always got a maximum amount of respect and and it's a really interesting industry and so the industry is worth when they were quoting i think about 79 billion but that does cover kind of weddings all the way through to major summits but when we focus on exhibitions and conferences it's still a 29 billion pound industry and so there's there's room for us all to play which is which is great but I think identity now give an authentic and genuine alternative to these agencies to deliver their projects. And, and we're, we're enjoying the fruit of that, really. And I think that w we have managed to attract some of the industry's best talent in the UK now uh, that have all worked at these agencies before, but under one roof now enable us to you know, go on and deliver really amazing projects. So talk us through kind of the most important inputs that help you deliver the best possible global events for your clients. Like what are the factors that you need to consider to make that happen? If we're talking about global events, then you've got to have genuine reach and, and expertise and ability to deliver it, I think, first and foremost. And that is what our clients turn to us to look for, which is, you know, a stable pair, reliable pair of hands that can support them in delivering their projects and 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 it's very easy to talk about global delivery but 
without that network and without that experience is actually genuinely very difficult to do. We have a very robust supply chain um, that, that supports us to deliver that as, as well as a team that are very experienced in kind of international delivery. So I think that's, that is key. You've got to be able to deliver at that, that scale. You've really got to understand the brief. Um, and so you've really got to interrogate the project and understand all the nuances that are required of it. I think when we're working internationally, it'd be culture. And so going back to the brief, you know, understanding the client and their cultural needs, understanding the audience, the delegates that are coming and their cultural needs, and then ultimately communicating with your supply chains at their level and their, their cultural requirements is fundamental. And then once you kind of tick those boxes off, you then got to be drilling down into the, the, the scale of events and therefore putting the audience first in what you're doing and, and, and making sure that the event is remarkable, that you've, you've understood the insights, you've, you've applied the strategy to it, you are thinking about how you're going to engage and connect with them. And ultimately, because there is, a, there is an objective for that event, and so you've got to be able to meet those objectives for it. And then looking at data now, data is such a huge part of, of, of what we do. And so the beauty of the virtual world and, and all that has come with it has meant that we're much richer in data and stats and, and some of the new technology that's coming. And so utilizing that to drive the best event that you can have. And, and from a customer's point of view, what's important to them? You know, what, what are they evaluating in their consideration set, whether or not an event is, is successful or not? I, th- I think... They, so that's really broad. So for us, the objectives will be, will be very broad, uh, particularly when we're working for government, then it's often about policy change. And therefore, you know, that is the ultimate, the ultimate driver for them, of which we have very little to, to do with that. But actually, therefore, our remits and our KPIs around that event is how do we facilitate that? Uh, and so you take a G7, you know, how can we provide an environment for world leaders to come together and feel safe? feel like they've got the technology to be able to communicate through a safe connection to other world leaders whilst it's hybrid. We've got to provide a great platform for international media to communicate the event in a positive light. So those are a raft of KPIs that will be associated to event delivery. Then when we're thinking about a corporate side, then it depends what they want to get out of it. And so you think about, do they want to sell a product? So if they want to sell a product, how many products did they sell? Uh, was, it, was it a bumper show? Uh, did they get a load of good leads? And how do we facilitate that? If it's a training or, or a kind of thought leadership piece, did it resonate in the feedback from the people that are there? Did they feel they came away and learned something new? And so really that all of your points, there's no one right answer. And I think that's what makes a great agency. And so you know, from an identity perspective, it's that forensic interrogation of the brief it's working collaboratively with our clients to dissect what it is and maybe even challenge them and support them on refining that brief so that they do have the desired outcome they want. And then ultimately it enables us to put on the best event for them. What combination of physical and digital events, which we had to get used to actually over the last 12 months, what combination of those physical and digital events do you see being the future of events moving forward? I believe that the word hybrid will will drop eventually. And actually, it's the way that live events or the way events will be moving forward. And it will become a term anyone born after the pandemic or whatever won't, won't distinguish between 
physical and digital events. They've said exactly the same thing about the internet and marketing campaigns and so on. And so we were already planning this because we understood about audience amplification, the use of digital technology at, at events. And so all that the pandemic has enabled us to do is turbocharge that uh, from a delegate perspective and a usability perspective. You know, everybody's rocketed forward and feels really comfortable in doing what we're doing now. Right? Before we would had to have met in London and done it in a studio and all this sort of stuff. And actually it's so easy to do it like this. And, and therefore, the benefits of it are, are here to stay. And so hybrid events or digital amplification of events enables you to one, have a larger audience. And so if your venue capacity is limited, then you can increase the footprint of that event, you know, in a virtual capacity. And particularly when you're thinking about large corporates that are bringing together a lot of staff for training or incentive programs, but don't need them all there all the time. And so they can have pockets of key people there and then bring in different departments. Oh, we want the marketing team to come in here. We want R&D to come in for this element and they can join it remotely. The sustainability element of that is huge. And so I think, you know, the small meetings industry is going to be hammered from this. And so I think that we've learned that actually we don't need to travel around business class and take a hotel room for a day, take three days out of our out of our time when we can have a perfectly good Zoom or Teams call that facilitates it. And so I think they're going to really, really struggle. But from what we do in the larger scale, it, it provides the amplification. I think the keynote speaker industry is going to be shaped uh, in a positive way. In what way? remember talking about a Formula One project and so uh, take the Mercedes team and they're doing a, uh, a talk on the launch of the new car. You can have Toto Wolf there, he's live in person, but Lewis Hamilton's diary doesn't facilitate that being there. So why didn't he just join him remotely for 15 minutes? And I'd much prefer to have Lewis Hamilton in the room remotely for 15 minutes right. than try and get three days of him to come to London or Jet and the cost associated with it. Interesting. Uh, and so I think it's you're going to have much richer speakers, albeit maybe in a virtual capacity to complement events, but you're really going to be able to, uh, A, a cheaper price point, but more access to keynote speakers. Mm. Um, and then data. So data historically has been a difficult thing to manage in live. Uh, and so now with the virtual overlay, we can look at session dwell times, we can look at movements, we can track networking, we can look at content engagement. There's so much data at our fingertips now that we can use to apply to strategy and use that insight to further develop projects you know, for the second iterations. It, it's amazing for us is what data does. And then I touched on it finally, sustainability, you know, it's, it's key. I, I think it, it really has woken us up to a new way of, of doing mass participation events. Super exciting. Let's talk a little bit about talent and talent management because it's totally sort of been changed considerably during the last 12, 18 months with talent kind of just having so many more options as to kind of where to go, people deciding, actually, do I want to be in this role or do I want to work with this sort of company? And actually they can apply for a job on the same day, get hired on the same day. And, and for them, nothing really changes. They're still in their bedroom or working from home. It's just their their monitor screen changes. So it's it's really, the last 12, 18 months have really kind of empowered um, talent and the marketplace to kind of be so much more discerning 
as to as to who who they work for. Tell us a little bit about your talent attraction strategy. How do you position yourself to talented executives? Because at the end of the day, agency businesses are talent businesses. We need mm. really really good people. How do you attract them? How do you retain them? Yeah, talk a little bit about that. Without revealing the Colonel's secret <laughs> recipe. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's just me and you. There's no one else. Yeah. So uh, it is all about talent acquisition. I thought you summed that up brilliantly. I think that that is what agency world is 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 all about. And and really, we can't deliver the projects that we do without a talented team that underpins all the projects. So that's absolutely fundamental. Maybe what is unique a little bit about the events industry is that we're all quite masochistic and we like to follow the challenges and the hard work and, and, the, and the big projects that are there. And so uh, wages and remuneration packages are still very high on the agenda and, and really important. But actually, when you compare yourself to your competitors, we're all going to be of a similar, a similar standard. So actually, who is working on the flagship projects? Who is working on the best gigs? That really helps you attract great talent. Then I think from an identity perspective, it's the vision. Uh, so there is a very clear vision. You, you know, we are we are up there, if not there. Uh, and therefore, how do we maintain that? How do we look at globalization, expansion, and all this sort of stuff? And so, you know, people looking for that new opportunity, that next opportunity where other agencies may be stagnating, you know, we have a really promising and bright pipeline for the next year. We've got a great year to finish off now. And so it's that optimism and, and, and vision that I think is, is the thing that kind of opens your door. Then we let them in. Uh, and, and, and for us, talent acquisition is very much a two-way process. So as soon as that engagement starts happening, uh, you very much have to want to work at our agency as much as our agency wants you to work for us. And I think that that is something I've learned a lot over the years is it's very easy for you to point the finger and say, you know, come here. You, there's got to be this mutual desire and then it's about then it's about fit and fitability and and, and really we, we we want this and we do have an amazing team and I, I i challenge anyone not to come and survey the team that is here and say what is the best thing about it and they will say absolutely their colleagues uh and so that is a huge driver i think of joy you know, having satisfaction in the job and, and, and ultimately once we've once we've acquired people and they are working for us, it's about maintaining uh, them and, and, and developing them. And so we have a huge development program, no matter of rank or, or, or experience, there's always things to learn. And so we have things called Technical Tuesdays where we reserve time and we uh, you can have external speakers come in, suppliers come in, internal training, but you're learning about something within the sector, lots of professional development, um we also we have track values for us so these are our internal values about teamwork responsibility ambition creative and caring i could go into those but actually you've got to have all of those things to work here not not just one thing it's really really important yeah and i think yeah underpinning that is also the behaviors that you have to to kind of stay here and then we do like most agencies, but we think we do it better uh, of all, all of the kind of social side that goes with it and the charitable work. And, and I think the differentiator for identity is our social value projects. And so if you want to come and work for an agency that is making genuine change for people's lives and our projects that we're working on 
that leave a legacy, this is the agency for you. And we feel like we're pioneering in that space. And only we're doing a born out G7 was the Identity Academy, where we do a virtual academy, where we go into universities and further education establishments, teach them about the sector. We provided CV writing skills to those adversely affected by COVID during that period. There's, there's lots of initiatives going on with placements and so on. So it's, we are doing some really great things. And I think that that, that has resonated a lot with uh, new talent acquisition at Identity. So related to this, then you prompt me to ask another question. How are you guys doing on the diversity and, and equity and inclusion front, both gender, ethnic, disability and, and all the other elements of diversity that have been mentioned in the news in the last sort of 12, 18 months specifically? So 57% of our executive board are female. Uh, and so we have great, and underneath that, I think there's you know, about a 50-50 split within the workforce. Uh, and so, yeah, from a gender point of view, then I think we've got a really good mix and there's certainly no plus discrimination there. This is very much placing the best people because, you know, we've grown so fast, so quickly, you know, in that hiring program, we just want the best talent that is here. And so we're really proud of that achievement. Diversity is an agenda that we're absolutely working on and, and, and you know, the opening up of offices and new geographical locations helps us hugely on that quest. And, and ultimately, all of the elements you've discussed, by being a framework supplier for the government, it, you know, they challenge us to meet these high standards. And so it is very much part of our, you know, our strategy, our identity. And I think it's, it's important across, you know, every business and every agency that we we all try and and i and i think my biggest worry as well is and and what what i was saying about the social value projects and particularly when we're looking at struggling areas in the uk to come and join us on projects is we need this next generation coming through i think you know lots of people that have grown through the pandemic won't have had that there's a gap there that we need to make sure come through for the next generation into the events industry when you think about the success of identity, what metrics come to mind most often? I mean, what metrics are you most concerned about? What metrics do you kind of go to sleep thinking about or obsessing over? Yeah, what what comes to mind and what lets you know that you're going in the right direction as a business? Yeah, so the accountant in me always wants to say balance sheet and EBITDA. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think whether I'm looking at us or whether I'm looking at our competitors, financial stability is, is really important. And it's something that we've always spoken to the, to the team about is, I remember standing up in a, in a staff conference that we had saying, what came first for Google, the slide or the culture? You, you know, and, and thinking about, did, did they have the money to invest in the ping pong table and the slide and all that sort of stuff and the 20% free time that you can all have? and did Or did they do that from day dot? Mm. And I think that actually financial stability in an SME and cash is king, right, is, is the bloodline to being able to do so many of the things you want to do. And so, like I said, the accountant in me would answer your question about that. But in reality, how do I measure you know, success across any of the agencies, talent acquisition has to be one of them. And so who's got the movers and shakers in the sector? Who, who's who got the people that carry that expertise in order to deliver the major projects? Client wins, 
always a good barometer and so yeah where are clients moving to in our sector and, and challenging either us or them of, of why why they're moving and, and doing that um i think the the, the actual type of projects as well. So we're very, at, at the larger scale, you're very much looking at hero projects. And so whoever's winning those hero projects is obviously doing something, something right. And so I guess those kind of three or four things is, is what I kind of trawl social media and have a look around our sector of what's, what's going on. So if you look at the future of the business, um, let's say three to five years time, and it's 10 times the size it, it is now, what would that success have been down to in your mind? Good question. I think now uh, it would be other people. So if we grew that much, I think it would be down to the exec team. And, Not and you. The, yeah, no, I can't take any credit. I think we right. we've created an amazing, an amazing agency and stability and strategic way forwards are very much part of that that challenge and so i think yeah if we, we were to grow more than we are now it would be around it would be down to the people that are here i think ultimately as well it would be thinking about the strategy that we're implementing it would be striving to constantly challenge ourselves and and innovate you know the the, the way that we delivered a virtual event pre the pandemic not knowing it was coming around we'd really skilled up the team put us absolutely on the front foot when the cessation of events kicked in in kind of April time. And it's testament to the way that we innovate as a business. And I think that constant challenging ourselves will be the key to any agency continuing to grow. Complacency is something that you never, ever want to creep in. And I think that would be be the key. You know, we're very humbled by where we are in the marketplace, the market share that we have, the, the, the great events that we're working on. But you are literally as good as the last event that you did. And so you, you know, in order to grow, you've got to make sure you're nailing it every time. Mm, absolutely love that. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Michael, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, hearing your thoughts and philosophy about how you've grown identity and sort of, I guess, the, the mindset and the skill set that it takes to build the business that you have built. I've got one more question before we get into our favorite questions that we ask everyone. You've built this successful Goliath is amazing agency um, and there's so there's still so much more to do what keeps you up at night these nights um, I wouldn't be lying if I said uh, taking the care of 120 plus heads of state in four days time isn't keeping me up at night uh, oh really yeah I wouldn't so, I think, so. <laughs> so I think I think when you're coming into the crunch moment of very high high profile projects is something that keeps me awake but i think that's important and i think the client would want me to be nervous right exactly right <laughs> um a little bit i think and that's healthy i, I think I ho hopefully it comes across that i'm energized and excited and i love i love the event sector i love everything it stands for i love i love the uk event sector and, and the flag that we that we wave as an agency and so constantly innovating and thinking about new strategies that we can work on the innovations that are needed in the business challenging my executive team and so often I'll just be thinking about things at night and just roll over and type them into my phone and, and have it for the morning and, and that that probably is a single thing that keeps me up but it's it's with excitement and I, I very much enjoy it and then mm. I think you've got a child on the way well I've got two one six and one three and so mm. 
They constantly keep me up. <laughs> Don't get much sleep anyway. Yeah. Uh, really interested. Okay, let's let's jump into our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm super excited to ask you some of them as well. I'm going to pick some at random. Uh, I don't think you know which ones are coming. I think you've gotten a heads up of some of them, but not all of them. So I'm going to try me. Try, try and keep you <laughs> on your toes. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. I think uh, so many, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what kind of makes you. And I, and I, and I guess the, the broad answer is, I've, I've learned to accept failure uh, and move very, very quickly on it. And, and, I, and I think that that growing that, that acceptance and patience and understanding has come with time. I, I, I used to beat myself up a lot when I was younger when project deals didn't go through or something went wrong with a project, project or there was a staffing issue we, we had to sort out. And, and I just used to really carry that burden and the learning that I've taken from that is actually no you're very fair you're very pragmatic you go through it all and, and you need to move on and so I think when it comes to failures it would are uh, the, the things that really stick in me and, and obviously throughout projects there's always small issues that go on and thankfully we've never had a major never had a major issue on a project but it would be about hiring hire slow mm. fire quick or whatever it is and I, th I think yeah. for me over the years I made mistakes of allowing mood hoovers to come into the business when I was maybe maybe shadowed by or overwhelmed by their experience and their talent and what they had done but actually they didn't fit mm. and that's why I was talking about fitability before and I'm I'm much quicker to to work with line managers and individuals now to make sure that yeah yeah, we, we, we work on that because they can be really destructive in your organization. And, and I think they're, they're, they were my mistakes in the early years. And now actually the way that we galvanize culture and the way that we support people in the business is, is a great success. I've never heard the term mood hoover before. You know, there's a book. I can't, I'm trying to I'm think about what the it. book is, but it's a book. Mood hoover. Someone yeah. that comes into the business and just hoovers up <laughs> the current mood. Bad mood bear. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Tell us some of your early mentors. Who influenced the way that you think about business, entrepreneurship, agencies? Um, yeah. So I don't know if there are many independently owned agencies that have an accountant at the top. And I think that that will be a, what separates identity a little bit more and probably enabled us to move up into that corporate world. And, and so I definitely had a creative bent that I wasn't aware of. And to answer your question, therefore, I, I have financial mentors and my, my boss in my accounting practice is still you know, very close to me and, and someone I bounce off regularly. And, and that, that started there. But it never was within the industry. And I always felt that I needed to surround myself by consultants. And so I've had HR consultants that have worked with me when we were going to, starting in the early days, looking at culture. I had various business consultants that helped work with me on strategy and implementing kind of change management into the business. And, and then obviously my dad being a businessman all his life, sure. I had no idea about the, uh, what I was learning via osmosis <laughs> of, of having a business owner in the house sure. uh, that, has, that has come home. Granted, it's a very different operation now. And so really, I, I would say it's, it's across any sector, I, I just 
eat up podcasts and I've on I I love audiobooks on on business. Uh I used to love listening to Evan Davis on the bottom line and yeah. listening to all of all of them and that's where I I would listen to those and take one or two nuggets away and that would that would give me energy to go on the next week or the next month to do to the next thing so I, I, there's no one single person I could put put my finger on but I've always surrounded myself by yeah talented people Speaking of podcasts and, and learning, tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? What books do you keep on going back to time and time again? Yeah. With two young children, I'm absolutely trying to make them into bookworms and reading is very, very important, but I'm an absolute audiobook fiend. And I'm By the way, I'm doing the same thing. I've got, I've got an eight-year-old. I'm trying to turn him into a bookworm. Uh, how are you doing that? Yeah, well, with with a with a lovely Struggling. wife. Yeah, my my wife is a bookworm, uh, but also yeah. actually I thoroughly enjoy reading kids' stories. It's really nostalgic, and and <laughs> um, and I've got such. I'm a governor of uh, my son's school, and I've got such a huge appreciation for teachers and what yeah. they've done, and it's amazing yeah. how they get kids into reading. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. So we touched on it. The one thing. Brilliant, Gary Killer. Yeah, love that book. Then another book that I often just skim back through chapters is Traction. Dino oh, Wickman, such a good book. By the way, just on that, is that how you run identity? Is that philosophy, that operating system? Is that core to the way the business runs, the operates? Oh my God, don't, don't let Gino hear <laughs> this. Uh, uh, no. Okay. I looked at the way that he runs the business and, and, and we definitely... For me, I cherry pick the things that I really, really liked about it. Like what? So first of all, is the way that they run meetings. Uh, and so I love the way that you would be having the issue focus yeah. meetings when you were going through it. And that yeah. when you've got a fast paced moving business. And so we have strategy meetings and operational meetings. Now we have an operational meeting as exec team once a week. And it's very much about that, where we, we take off the operational issues. We tick through them as we're going through them, the reg flags. And then I, I, I used it and I don't use it anymore, which is very much the, the template where you could pull together what your vision was mm. and, and what you needed to do. And, and I, they were just handy when, I, when I'm a bit lost mm. and, and, and I feel like I, I'm a bit overwhelmed by the things we need to do. And particularly when you have amazing people working with you, they challenge you. And so you often come out of a strategy meeting or a management meeting and you've, you've been bombarded with amazing ideas or challenges. And so sometimes I find it as like, right guys, let's go away. Let's do this. Let's, let's get this into a plan. And that's because you can't do it all at once. Uh, yeah. and, and we kind of work through it in stepping stone. So any, a lot of these business books have been very useful, but I always go back to the one thing we, we, we quote it all the time, our identity, and that is absolutely our philosophy. Where do we want to be? We want to be a number one independently owned event chain in the UK. Okay, well, what does that mean we need to do this year, this month, this week, today? Mm. And, and I think the thing is, when you try and change the world and you try and got you know, so many talented people that are really excited about looking at social value initiatives, charity committees, uh, training and development, you can't actually do it all at once. And so you really need to understand what is the one thing that I need to do. Hmm. Um, and then kids' books. Oh, I love them. So it'll be the Gruffalo and Buffalo. Uh, what are we? We've got Burglar Bill at the moment. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The classics. Some of the best uh, <laughs> yeah. children's books around. Smeds and the Smooths. I do like that at the moment as well. <laughs> okay. We're, we're just getting through Marcus Rashford's book at the moment. We've gone through Enid Blyton. 
we're going through the, the classic uh, roll dolls. What else are we doing at the moment? Yeah, I'm well versed on <laughs> seven or eight year old books. What's the most important thing that people don't know about your background? Well, we've spoken a lot about it. And actually, when people meet me and I'm, I'm in a pitch and we're working on it, they, they wouldn't know I was a chartered accountant in a previous life. And, and that really, it grounds them in understanding that there, it's an agency with financial stability. And so that, that, is always, uh, that is always handy. In my earlier years, that I wasn't as old as I looked. And so losing my hair was always a... Uh, it it's a good look. I'm doing yeah. the same thing. It's timeless. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so I think that, that when I was in my late 20s, pitching on some major corporate stuff, I think that that was a very handy tool. But I think uh, I used to sing a lot when I was younger. So I was in a musical when I was at school and not many people kind of know that about me. But yeah, I'm quite an open book. So um, Love it. <clears throat> Love it. Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What are you watching on Amazon, Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu? There's so many streaming services out there right now. But what's... What's top of your list right now? When you when you do wake up in the middle of the night with COP26 to uh, to plan, what are you watching on Netflix? I've got such a guilty confession. So if it, was, if it is on one of the streaming channels, it's Malibu Rescue, which is like a Baywatch for kids with oh. my son, and I'm having to endure that. Uh, ice truckers. Um, but the for me, I'm into a love, so grand design, restoration programs, obviously yeah. construction and creativity mm. I, I love to sit down with grand design nothing makes me happier when they sack all the project managers around them which is what we do for a living and then they wonder why it's over budget and hasn't gone to plan uh so i find i take great joy in that <clears throat> <laughs> love it brilliant last last couple of questions what advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in the agency world what what sort of advice would you give them I talk about, I could, I could give a whole session on this. I feel very passionate about, uh, yeah, the next generation coming in, in into the sector. So I think the first and foremost is it, it's, it's very hard to break through. It's a very competitive environment. And when you, when you want to work for some of the larger agencies, you'll probably need to volunteer some of your time to begin, begin with. And I think that that is, that's really essential because it'll be the stepping stone. But, but if you want to get into it, that that's really important but once you're in and whether you've gone and got a degree in event management or uh, done some work experience is you've got to have a can-do attitude and i re almost 50 50 i see the split between people that oh i joined this role as a digital coordinator or i came in here and exec, exec manager or something but actually events isn't like that events is when you are when you are in delivery mode everyone does anything mm. and you've got to be prepared. You've got to have a candor attitude that you're hoover the carpet when you're there, you're iron a flag, you're going to do some photocopying, you're going runner and do this. And I still myself would be polishing tabletops before someone's coming in because <laughs> it's what's got to be done at the time it's got to be done. Sure. And, 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 and actually identity maybe, but I think across the industry, it weaves it out itself. It, it self manages it. Uh, and so actually, if you want to be successful in this industry, you have to be a genuine person that's prepared to get stuck in and help your colleagues out and you'll get find out if you don't or found out if you don't. Mm. And so I think that that don't don't come into the sector if that's not kind of your makeup. But when you do make sure that you're prepared to do anything and opportunities will present themselves. Love that. 
really do. And my final question, Michael, what does you know about growing and running a global experience agency today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Uh, it will take longer than you think. Uh, <laughs> it will take longer than you think. And I think that's something that I've learned is patience is really, really important. I think that you can grow a business quick. You can grow any business quick. But will it be here tomorrow? Probably not. And so I think the thing I learned was that to build a stable business or solid foundations with good culture and all that sort of stuff, although we have grown very fast, it's hugely important. And I, and I think that had I if I was if I was kind of doing it all again, I would be thinking about making sure that the way that I managed the way I hired in the earlier days, I would have improved on and built built a, a quicker management team around me would be my advice to my younger self if I was doing it. Mm, absolutely love it Michael thank you so much for doing this thank you thank you for your time we have been speaking with Michael Geetson he is currently the managing director of identity if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in the agency space thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Deal Masters.